1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, The NFL draft wrapped up, five Trojans drafted, all seven signed, so we'll get into that. And of course, the conclusion of USC's 2021 spring camp. We'll share our takes, our observations, our overall thoughts uh, from the last five weeks of USC football practice, which we got to see, which is fun, so we'll talk about that. I will also talk about uh, some of the ramifications from camp, or at least uh, what we'll watch for going forward, like USC's offensive line competition. We got to hear from Clay Helton on Friday about that, so we'll get into that. As always, you can call us, 5124-TUNNEL. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. You can also put uh, your tweet. I can put up your tweet <laughs> if you put hashtag Tunnel Vision. And wherever you're watching, I believe we're live on all three platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and whatever Periscope Twitter version is right now. That we're live on that as well. Uh, so be sure to put your comments. And your questions, we love uh, hearing from you guys. But guys, like I said, uh, a lot of football news uh, this past week, so it's a good show to to
2: have.
3: Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's the end of USC spring football practice, 2021, five weeks uh, right in row. We went to practice on Friday. They did another full pads practice, and shotgun was counting them up. Those full pads practice didn't think we were going to see full pads on the last day. We did. It was shorter, about an hour, but we got to see some tackling, some you know full hitting stuff. So that was cool. True. Clay and gave him a break after, uh, you know, the three horns we hear that ended in practice after an hour. It's like, well that's kind of quick. Uh, but also the NFL draft and uh, three yeah. days of that was sort of like bookend with, you know, a first round draft pick on day one, nothing on day two. And then uh, four guys selected on day three with a couple of free agent signings So all the guys that were all seven guys that were invited to the. The virtual NFL combine this year, all of them ended up on some NFL team.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so congrats to them. It's always cool to see those guys uh, transition to the next level. But let's get into, I guess, the NFL draft, your overall thoughts. First, any surprises, guys?
2: I mean, I think the biggest surprise for me was that Amon Ross St. Brown lasted as long as he did. Now, I feel like any time a fan of a, of, of a program or someone who covers a team, you see a guy enough times and they're a quality player, you think – this guy's going to go a little bit higher in the draft than they end up doing. Uh, a lot of times, you just feel feel like they, that kind of happens. But I'm I'm on Ross Saint Brown. Just how productive he was and how consistent of a player he is. I was a little surprised that he went fell all the way to draft three. I mean, to day three of the draft. I expected him to go on day two between in rounds two or three. Uh, but you know, him falling there. You know, the Lions pick him up, and now he's going to be teammates with Pene Soul. So a little Pac-12 uh, reconnecting there.
1: A little Pac-12 action. Well, let me just run down uh, what ended up happening. So Elijah Vera Tucker went in the first round. He was the 14th pick. Uh, with the New York Jets. Jay Tufeli went in the fourth round. He was the 106th overall pick and he went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Alman um, St. Brown, like you said, shotgun, fourth round, pick 112 with the Detroit Lions. Tano Hufunga went in the fifth round. He was pick 180 with the 49ers and then the last Trojan to get drafted was Marlon Tuipelotu. He went in the sixth round and he was the 198th pick and went with the Eagles. And then Elijah Griffin uh, was an undrafted free agent. He signed with the Buffalo Bills and then Tyler signed signed with the Colts, reuniting with uh, Michael Pippen over there in Indianapolis. So a uh, fun little Trojan wide receiver reunion over there.
3: I like with the Colts. Sorry, I was just pulling up the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. video stuff here. It was like little technical glitches, but I think we got all. So we should be able to put up your Facebook and YouTube comments and questions up on the screen so I made sure that was working. Uh, I do like that. So what's what are the Colts doing? Uh, you know, Andrew Luck retired a couple years ago, uh, bringing in. Carson Wentz. Is that kind of an interesting uh, move there? But you have Michael Pittman and you have Tyler Vaughn's, you know, reunited. They were teammates before. So I think that'll be a a really interesting uh, pairing there. It's a, you know, I think it's a team that's got uh, some young talent on there. And, you know, now you bring uh, a young Trojan in there and he'll kind of add to the mix.
1: Now, It's kind of hindsight is 2020, and I know Jay Tufele had uh, family COVID issues, so it's kind of understandable why he chose to opt out. But prior to him opting out, uh, he was listed pretty high uh, as far as mock drafts, and yet he went lower than I think what people expected. Do you think that was the right call ultimately for him to opt out, or is that something just above it all because family was involved?
2: I mean, this is the question that was argued probably the most Um, in in my mentions and and on the timeline um, going through the draft and you can't fault him for opting out especially after you know a serious family illness you know with his sister being on life support being in the ICU Uh, you know that was that comes first family comes first and obviously that played a large role I think uh, factored into his decision uh, heavily I believe Um, but I think that he's going to be a steal. Um, and I, I said this just from the way that when we talked to him, the, the way his body has changed, the, the maturity that he's, you know, he showed when we talked to him. I think he's going to be a steal there. If he played, I think he would have made more plays and been more consistent in just another year and playing under Vic Soto and the way the defensive line played this year. I think he would have had a chance to, 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 create uh, some more hype around himself and be able to push his draft stock up higher. We saw that, you know, the, the opt outs for people didn't necessarily hurt anyone uh, of those top end guys. But I think after that first group of, you know, five or so guys that were in the top 15 in, in the draft that opted out, I think you did see the rest of the opt outs. I think it hurt. You know, if you weren't going to be one of those, if you weren't already a top 15 pick, coming into the season, then I think the opt-out hurts you because, you know, anyone that, you know, that's after that 15, you know, if you're not seen as, you know, a generational type of talent at a certain position in that top five, top 10, then after that you're seen as a really good player that could be, you know, become a first round draft pick. Well, teams don't want to waste a first round draft pick. They're so scared of missing on that first round draft pick because it's so valuable and you're paying them a good amount of money that I, I think those type of guys slid a little bit and slid a little bit more. Uh, so Jay Tefele, a guy that maybe could have worked his way into being a first round draft pick in between 20 and 30, I think he slid down draft boards because he, he you know teams didn't get a chance to see him, didn't get a chance to see him perform on the field this season. So I think yeah, he definitely was hurt by by opting out, but I don't think you can fault him at all with yeah. the situation that was there.
3: Yeah, Sense. I don't fault them either. And, you know, if you look at the Pac-12, they had three first round draft picks. All were opt-outs. Uh, Elijah Vertucker is the only one that came back. So Penny Sewell, Joe Tryon, they didn't play. Uh, and, you know, Jay Tafeli ended up being the second Trojan selected. So, uh, I mean, if Amon Ross St. Brown sat out, you would say, oh, he fell. Uh, he wouldn't go in the second day because he opted out. Well, he played, you know, he played and played well and still still dropped there. So I think it's hard to say, You're like, oh yeah, that, that really hurt uh, i think that's a that's kind of a stretch right now, but you know it didn't seem to you know hurt a lot of people if if you needed more tape fine but uh, you know the fact that he was the the, the second Trojan off the board after Elijah Vera Tucker, I, I don't think it would hurt him that much.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, uh, I remember we were all a little surprised that Elijah Griffin decided to declare, um, and he uh, went unsigned. He did sign with the, the Bills, but, uh, I mean, excuse me, undrafted, but uh, he's a guy who had uh, 25 appearances as a Trojan, 15 starts. Do you feel like he should have had more time as a Trojan?
2: I mean, he would have been benefited from coming back another year. There was no doubt when he made the announcement uh, that I that thought the same thing. Um, and then he goes undrafted. However, can he still make it in the NFL? I think he goes to Buffalo and maybe he follows the same path as Nikhil Roby Coleman. You know, another guy who went undrafted after you know leaving early and has turned it into a what eight nine year career now in the NFL. Yeah. So I, I think that Elijah Griffin has the talent and potential to do that. However, he he could if he came back another year. I think he definitely could have risen his stock. And the fact that Dante Williams has continued to develop players—you know—he had three DBs, I believe, from Oregon that were drafted in this in this draft that he had coached up prior to coming to USC. So I, I think that tells you that that Elijah Griffin. You know, coming out of high school, was he rated similar to Diamondor Lenore and Thomas Graham? You know, I think he was higher than both of those guys. So yeah, I think another year with uh, with Dante Williams would have helped you know, helped him develop as a player and, and boosted his draft stock for next year. But I still think that he's going to make the team in an NFL environment. Maybe not initially, but down the road he'll make a team and he'll probably stick around for a few years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I think he'll make the team, but I think he would have helped himself for sure. It's one of those situations where people, you know, and you know, having a famous dad, maybe there's famous people in your ear. Oh, he's going to come out. And I think, you know, Warren G was saying he was going to be a second or third rounder, and uh, you know, obviously that that wasn't the case. You know, not. These are, you know, young guys. There's not going to get the, the best advice all the time. And, you know, who knows? He could have, if all it took was one team. If one team would have selected him, that's fine. That didn't end up happening. But it seemed like, you know, another year for Elijah Griffin would have been uh, good. Get a little more seasoning and uh, give yourself an opportunity. Be a stud. Be an absolute star. For this Trojan defense would look like it was going to be better for a full season, and I think that probably would have helped his stock. Mm-hmm.
1: And the weird thing too that happened is that he was diagnosed with COVID uh, right before USC's pro day, which was essentially the combine. Yeah. How much did that impact things? Because if you if you have all scouts there, maybe you catch someone's eye, but you're having your own individual combine day or pro day. Yeah. It seems like that also impacted him at some point.
3: Yeah, that happened. I, I think some people went to it. I didn't. I mean, I don't. I don't know if any of us uh, ended up going there. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of those things. Like we didn't cover it, um, so yeah, you're probably not getting a lot of NFL people there. So didn't help. I mean, I don't think that helped. Uh, obviously, sure. you know, it, it sucks. that, You know, hopefully he's healthy and he gets COVID and stuff. But that, that you know, timing for that not great. Yeah, not great at all.
1: Yeah,
2: definitely because that, like you said, that's a chance to catch someone's eye that's not there to see you. Yeah. Versus, I mean, if he was, if Elijah Vera Tucker did it, yeah, teams are going to come back and everyone's going to come and watch him because they want to see the first round talents. Anyone that's looking for an office lineman. You know, if Elijah Griffin, if you've already got your board and he's twenty five on the cornerback rankings, you know, are you gonna invest a a, you know, a flight from Buffalo or something to come where he ends up or you know, are the Jets gonna fly out to see him if they're if they're not really looking for cornerback, you know, I I think that makes it that much more difficult for him to be seen by someone who maybe wasn't necessarily looking for that position to begin with.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. We got a question from AKA Boon Ryan for you. He said, uh, are you surprised that your boy Tyler Vons didn't get drafted?
3: Uh, I thought he'd be like a, you know, there would be like a sixth, seventh round kind of thing or, you know, un, you know undrafted free agent. So, not, I mean, it's not a huge uh, surprise. Seeing that Amon Ross and Brown didn't go in round two or three, Just that that day two of the draft was sort of like a... I don't know, maybe like a little reality slap or something. You're like, oh, I thought, you know, maybe there's some opportunities for guys to go in the second or third round. And when none of them, none of them did, you kind of felt like, at least I felt like, everyone's probably going to drop down a little bit. Now, you know, getting the first pick of, of round four, that's nice. You know, Jay Tufelli goes off uh, right away, um, and you know, seeing Alman Ross and Brown going, you know, just a few picks after that, that was nice. But I'm on Ross Brown being a fourth rounder, you kind of felt like, okay, Tyler Vaughn's probably going to be an uh, undrafted free agent. I don't know what you thought, shotgun.
2: I mean, the, the thing with Tyler Vaughn's is the, the questions that were there were going to be there next year. So I don't think coming back would have changed anything for him. Um, he's not the – he doesn't have the speed that NFL teams are looking for. He doesn't have, you know, the, the thickness that they're looking for from the big body receivers on the outside – But he's productive. So he's a guy that's going to have to work his way up. Uh, and and that was kind of expected from the beginning. I didn't expect him to be drafted. I thought he would be an undrafted free agent. Now, you know, priority undrafted free agent, maybe, uh, and finding the right fit. That's going to be the key for him. Now he goes to Indianapolis. Having Pittman there, I'm sure helps, you know, just to be able to get the lingo. He can say, you know, this concept is similar to the one we ran you know, at USC called this. Yeah. You know, before. that helps, you know, those type of things help. But also being there and having T Y Hilton, you know, another veteran, you know, having the veteran receiver there that can, you know, if he's making his mark and working his way up. And, you know, he does make the team, makes the training camp, does those type of things. And T.Y. Hilton, if he is impressive there, and T.Y. Hilton brings him over and says starts giving him pointers and stuff, that's a, a good fit for him potentially there. Uh, and, and it just comes down to production. You know, I remember last year writing about the Colts and, and how Pittman fit in there, and they really haven't had a second receiver outside of, of T.Y. Hilton You know, basically since the Marvin Harrison Reggie Wayne days, like once T.Y. Hilton became the secondary receiver for Reggie Wayne and once Wayne left, they really haven't had a guy that fit in. They tried different, you know, guys (laughs) and that's, that was the, the hope for Pittman, which tells me that you know, there's potential, there's a possibility there that he could work his way up there because no one stood out, you know, just from my recollection off the Colts um, roster from last year that, was, that stepped up and just had a big year at the wide receiver position or anything.
1: Yeah, I remember covering Pittman getting drafted and all the Colts fans in the mentions were like, can he catch the ball? Can, can he catch it, please? That's, so it seems yeah. like uh, they're in need of some wide receivers in that sense.
3: And it's good with Tyler Vaughn's. If you're going to come to a place that has an established quarterback that you know had a long time relationship with Ty Hilton and Michael Pittman, they you know that's his guys, right? They're going to have that. Now you got a new quarterback. Like all of the guys are going to be new to him. So Tyler Vaughn's is as new as Michael Pittman or Ty Hilton is, even though they've, those guys been around a little while. He's as new as those guys. So maybe some opportunities there.
2: Mm-hmm. And it, it he probably could have benefited from. You know, if he would have come in last year, the fact that Pittman came in last year, just that extra year with a Hall of Famer like Phillip Rivers. You know, learning from a quarterback like that. Now it's going to be different with Carson Wentz. But like you said, you know, it's a new quarterback. It's a new system for him. He's going to find his new favorites. It's not like he's got everyone established already Mm -hmm. in certain roles in his mind. Mm
3: -hmm. Vaughns might catch a pass in some offseason workout and he's like, that's my guy. You know, who knows? (laughs) Like, like
2: (laughs) oh, so you're saying Carson Wentz is the new Ryan Abraham? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say. Carson, give me a call. (laughs) Let's go.
1: Tell Nohufunga with the 49ers. How do you guys think he fits in there?
2: And the, the NFC West is just going to be so much fun to watch. Okay. I mean, there, there's those all four teams are really talented, um, and you could see any of them winning. You can see any of those teams representing the NFC uh, in in the Super Bowl next year. You know, it wouldn't be surprising to see any of those, maybe a little bit Arizona, but they're super talented and they, you know, uh, have been really fun to watch with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury uh, and the the pieces that they've been adding to there. So Talano Ohofunga. He's going to be chasing down Kyler Murray. He's going to be chasing down Russell Wilson. Uh, You know, how's that going to fit? He doesn't really have to chase Matthew Stafford as much. Uh, But, you know, going to be chasing those two guys. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, there's there's several Trojans in the, the NFC West, so it, it's going to be a fun division to watch games of. You know, if you're watching the Seahawks and you're watching Rasheem Green, you're watching the Rams, you're seeing Robert Woods. So, you know, it's going to be fun to watch those Devon Kennard with Arizona. So, you know, for, for a USC fan, you should be able to have a vested interest in any NFC West game.
3: Yeah, the 49ers are going to be a team to watch, obviously. They make a big trade. You get, give up a couple first-rounders. You move up to number three to take... A dude that had 17 starts that wasn't even in the FBS. You know, like, that's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, he looks like he's got a lot of upside. But that is a – it was a big risk with that first pick. And you're not going to have first-round picks for the next couple of years. And like Sean said, you're going to be chasing around some quarterbacks, a lot of good receivers. I mean, you, I mean these are guys you're not going to want to cover. I mean, wow. So, that, I, I don't know if I want to be a safety in the NFC West. So, uh, you know, Talano Funger, you got your work cut out for you. So, he's going to have some fun. <laughs>
2: Another guy, though, that it, you, you kind of wish that he was there last year, get one year with Robert Sala, who's now the, the yeah. Jets head coach, because I think he, he was you know a fantastic defense coordinator. Demi- I think it's D'Amico Ryans is going to be the defense coordinator now yeah. for, for the 49ers, his first time as a DC. Uh, so don't know what to expect. You know, If he's great, that, that helps out Talano even more.
1: Marlon tui with the Eagles. Any thoughts there?
2: Um, my in-laws are all Eagles fans, so, you know. <laughs> There you I, go. I, I got I now can root for one player on the team, I guess. There you go. Nice. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. Like
3: they obviously they've whenever you're transitioning off of like who you think your uh franchise quarterback's gonna be, there's gonna be some transition going on. Uh certainly the, the Eagles have transitioned. I mean, you know, it just really fell off a cliff from winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, as Shotgun's family, you know, uh can attest to. But yeah, I mean that's <laughs> uh they, I mean obviously passionate fans. We'll see. I mean he, he he made himself some money, I think, the first couple of games of the season. Just really, as, you know, Jay Toffoli opts out. He still is going to be okay. I don't know if where Marlon, if he would have got selected that high, no. had he not, if, if he opted out and he didn't come back. I think he, especially with the linebackers not playing well for the first couple of games, it was up to him. He was basically running the show on the defense. So I think those first couple of games at least made him some money.
1: Mm-hmm. And since we saw him live and in person in Provo, I just want your thoughts. Zach Wilson to the Jets. Any thoughts there?
2: I mean, <laughs> I didn't see him as a number two overall pick a year and a half ago, or what was, that? was that a year and a half ago? Two years ago? At this point? I don't know. Um, but, you know, good luck to him. Uh, <laughs> the Jets have not had success with their, their early round picks, and it hasn't always been the early round picks' fault. So. Um, you know, we'll see what Sam Darnold does with Carolina versus the Jets, and we'll see if Robert Sala has more success than, than what they had previously under um, the varied head coaches they've had in the last decade. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's been a revolving door, obviously. There's been, you know, and I, I, mean, I like Zach Wilson as a prospect, but it just seemed like it's been the hot thing. You want to get the young quarterback. You can win. If you can get your Patrick Mahomes, whatever, and you get him on the rookie deal – you can have like what, you know, Russell Wilson was when he was on his rookie deal in Seattle. You get the star quarterback, but he's still on his rookie deal. You can get a lot of pieces around him. Then when you pay the guy, it's really hard to kind of keep the team going. <laughs> so everyone wants to get that guy. And you see Josh Allen like, oh, my God, like he was in Wyoming. He was th- completed 50% of his passes. Now he's a stud for the Bills, right? So you can you find that guy? And uh, there's, there's definitely guys that it, it's working out for. Um, and then some guys it's not, you get the Jared Goffs that go number one and then you know, you get traded off and we'll see what he's able to do, uh, in Detroit. But yeah, that's seems like a little bit of a reach, but it's just sort of been the hot thing, you know, like there's, there's trends, right? You're like, Oh, we're not taking any running backs in the first round. Uh, Or whatever. And then it would come back a little bit. Then it just became like a quarterback thing. I think first seven or eight picks were all offensive players in the NFL draft. I don't think that's ever happened before. So sort of these trend things are happening. And he he was definitely part of it.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the thing is that quarterback is such an important position. It's the number one position. And if you don't have a franchise quarterback, it's so difficult to make it to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's very rare just to make it to a Super Bowl without a franchise quarterback, much much less win one. There's very few times that Trent Dilfer wins a Super Bowl. Um, you know, things just all have to come together and you have to have an amazing defense. Doesn't happen very often. Uh, so, you know, that's what everyone's searching for. And if you feel like, you know, you give somebody three or four years and you go, can't get us to a Super Bowl. All right, well, it's time to cycle them out and try somebody else. And you've seen so many guys that, you know, have been busts, but it's just because they're being pushed up the draft boards because of the importance of quarterbacks. Like Jake Locker is not a top 10, top 15 pick in any draft unless the quarterback position is so valuable. You know, if if that position wasn't as... So much more valued than any other position. You know, he's, he's probably a second round pick. You know, that was the talent there, but guys like that get bumped up. You know, all the guys that, that came before Patrick Mahomes get bumped up. Mahomes himself gets bumped up. You know, no one expected him to be that type of quarterback off the top. Um, you know, he hadn't had that production necessarily at Texas Tech. There was potential, but it still hadn't been realized. So I think it's just the way the quarterback position is viewed now.
1: Mm -hmm. Any overall draft thoughts before we move on?
2: Uh, I mean, Alabama getting six first-round
3: draft picks is like, holy crap. Like, that is amazing. You know? Wait,
2: more telling, Ryan, that they, they got six first-round draft picks or that their long snapper also got drafted.
3: Yeah, only eight overall, right? I think only eight overall. Uh, but Down year down for them. Yeah, but six first-rounders. Their 2017 class was ridiculous. So if you remember, like, recruiting at a high level – that's recruiting at high level, and just so everyone, you know, everyone in the back, I want you to like listen up. Stars <laughs> matter; they do matter. I was about to say, okay. this, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy was picked fifteenth, and he would, yeah, yes, that happens. But the majority of the dudes <laughs> getting selected high are like top five. You know, they're they're high in their recruiting class. Like you have thirty-two guys that are five stars every year, and thousands of other dudes. Some of those other dudes are going to get drafted because there's thousands of them, but a really high percentage of the guys that are those five-star guys that are only a few of them do get drafted high. So yes, stars matter.
2: Also, development matters because USC has had plenty of high-end guys that aren't ending up in the first round um, like those Alabama guys are. So development definitely matters. And also recruiting matters because one of the things that I noted was Oh, there's Penny Sewell that USC wanted to get. Oh, there's Jackson Carmen that USC wanted to get. Oh, there's Wyatt Davis, who they kind of passed on. He ends up, I think, in the third or fourth round. Uh, but those offensive linemen that we talked about in the past of, oh, you know, why is USC struggling on the offensive line? Well, this is the list of guys they've missed, you know, their top targets year over year. And some of those guys were coming out in this draft and, and seeing them you know, even though Austin Jackson and Elijah Verituck are back to back first rounders and good for USC, I mean, they were promoting the heck out of that on, on all their Twitter feeds, all their social media, all the offense coaches having that those shirts. Do everything you can if you're USC to try to promote those offensive line because you need to get some offensive alignment in. Yeah. You still have not been getting those high end guys recently. And with the number of guys that they have coming in for visits in, in the summer, coming up and you know a lot of those are out of state guys and there's some big time offensive linemen in there. Yes, they're doing a great job of selling the back to back first rounders offensive linemen. But you see some of those other guys that are out there that they weren't able to close on and you see pinay Sewell going in, in the top ten. You see Jackson Carmen, I think he was a top fifty pick. Um and, and you know some of those guys and you know those are the guys that they you know were were close on but but couldn't close the deal and you you see them being drafted and you go what could have been?
3: Yeah, diameter Lenore, uh, Thomas, Thomas Graham. Graham both I mean, guys they passed on. Passed on. They both go to Oregon. They both <laughs> get drafted. You're
2: like... Thomas Graham is... It still, it still kind that of was, upsets me because of how great their family is, and his sister was at USC. She his ended sister up was at USC.
3: He loved USC. Yeah,
2: and you they know, passed on him. Ronnie Bradford came in. He was committed to USC, and basically, yeah, I interviewed him. Felt like you know what? He's not the 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 prototype of what we're looking for. You know, he's not the right size, length. Um, he makes a lot of plays, yeah, but not the the size and potential that we're looking for. Yeah. And instead, they you know they. Basically kind of pushed him out of the class, and he goes to Oregon, has a great career, and <laughs> congratulations to him on being in oh, NFL yeah. draft pick. Him and Diamond Lenore, both great guys to talk to during the recruiting process. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. I mean, there's, he was starting right away. Like, that was just a huge miss on USC. Keely, I got a question for you. Okay. So Chaka was talking about, I thought the USC social media team did a great job. You do the back-to-back. First-round draft picks. Yes. Now, obviously, it's paling in comparison to six in the first round from Alabama and all but of it's that.
1: Al- yes, continue. But yes. it's good. I thought
3: they did a good job. Yes. But does it sort of fall flat when day two goes by and nobody gets drafted? So it's sort of like crickets for the next whole day.
1: What's the alternative? Not celebrate your first-round draft pick because uh, day two might not go well? Uh,
3: I, no. I mean, it, I think it's just sort of like you're kind of like beating your, beating your drum, which is good. I think you want to do that. But it just... Then when there's nothing to follow, you wanted some follow-up there, right? And then there were. But was they can't
1: nothing. control that. <laughs> you yeah. Celebrate your first-round pick, and right. then
2: you, you perfect. Celebrate perfect. all wins, you know, and you, yeah. you push them as much as you can. It's all about the hype, you know. Do you think BYU was going well? We may not have anybody else drafted for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's BYU. Do do we do we not <laughs> celebrate that Zach Wilson's number two overall and is one of the top guys ever to come out of a BYU? No, you you celebrate the heck out of that and, and sell that to every recruit you can. Um, you know, you say, "Come be Steve Young, come be uh, come be Zach Wilson, come be Steve Sarkeesian. You know, the, Ty Detner, the uh, the BYU <laughs> litany of quarterbacks.
3: Yeah,
1: I think that's a loser mentality, Ryan. All right,
2: bit. perfect. Hey, I'm, I'm I'm with. You. I just wanted to check. I just there
3: was something sure. that was like like sure. oh, that seems a little and,
2: weird. And it's it's interesting because. You know, there are probably expectations. Well, we, we think Amon Ra's going to go yeah. second day. You know, so the, Our the social media team <laughs> was probably thinking that as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so some tweets it, ready. It, it, it'll be a little bit different if it was like, we know we have this one dude and then we're probably not going to have anybody till maybe day three. Um, and you know, what do you, maybe the social media strategy then changes, you know, that would have been kind of interesting to see, you know, if they put together a strategy and say, okay, what do we do on day two? If we know we don't have anybody, we know we're not going to be in the news. What can we do to, you know, to hype up this first round draft pick and go, but I I thought they did a good job of what, you know, all the shirts and everything. I I thought it was really great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They had a site for every draft pick and then they also had a alum. Uh, who's in the NFL? Congratulate whoever uh, got yeah. drafted. I thought it was a good coordinated. Yeah, like Juju and, yeah, those guys. and Leonard yeah. Williams. Yeah, all that. yeah, so nice there. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Alabama. You, we got mm. a question for you from Greg, who says, oh. "How concerned are you with USC possibly being in third place for first round total draft picks with Alabama catching up?"
3: I mean, I didn't sleep much last night because <laughs> of that. No, I, I don't get concerned of those kind of things. But like, yes, um, when you're talking about a team like Alabama being able to pick up six first-rounders in a year, and it's, you know, if I don't know what their draft, but it's not like they're going to get shut out next year. They'll probably have at least a couple. They are definitely piling up numbers faster than USC is. And uh, you had that, you know, that 2020 class is going to be going through there. Are they going to be first-rounders in that? Probably not. Yeah, I, I think USC, you know, over the next three, four, five years, is probably not going to be in first place in a lot of those categories because you know Alabama's up there, Ohio State's up there, Notre Dame is still up there. They're going to playoffs and stuff and USC isn't. USC needs to have that kind of success. They still have the the historical success and they're still being able to put guys in the first round and and you know get a bunch of dudes drafted. They tied for the most. They had five guys drafted. I think Oregon and Stanford each did in the Pac-12. But you want to com- compete with the big boys getting like one first round draft pick and nobody in the second or third round. it Yeah, you, you keep having classes like that, you're going to be passed.
1: Shotgun, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, part of it is a little bit cyclical. You know, when Nick Saban leaves Alabama, are they going to find the next great coach? That'll be the question because, you know, in, in coming out of the 80s, Alabama was probably up there you know, because USC had struggled in, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s. You know, so maybe Alabama moved it, you know, up closer to them, whatever. But then when they struggle, you know, obviously USC. So over the, the long haul, it's a little bit cyclical in that regard. Uh, but it is definitely, it is notable. I don't know if it's concerning. Uh, those type things that don't really bother me one way or the other. Uh, don't really look at those things, but for USC, you know, they got to sell this as much as they can right now to try to get that next group of recruits that will be, you know, a team because, you know, that's what you're looking for. It's all about selling to recruits and, you know, being able to hype any of those types of statistics and numbers. You want to be able to do as much as you can. So right now, while they still hold on to the top uh, of some of those rankings and they should be selling them as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm actually jump, gonna jump into a call that we have. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello. You were live on Television.
2: Hey, Tunnel Vision,
0: good to talk again. Um, I got a couple questions, or, yeah, I guess a couple questions. Uh, one, um, just in terms of the draft, I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but more Northern Cal players got drafted than Southern Cal. Do you think USC should start hitting, hitting like, Sacramento, the Bay Area a bit more? I mean, Javon Holland, I mean, it's, it, it, it kind of just says something right there, but um, you do you. <laughs> um, but one thing I gotta ask you guys: take it or leave it. USC goes three for three in terms of an offensive lineman in the first round next year. And if you take it, who's, who would,
2: who, uh, who's your guy?
3: Interesting.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Dave. Rama. Thanks,
3: Dave. Yeah, Najee Harris, obviously uh, another Nor Nor-Cal guy. Mm-hmm. Um, USC usually recruits, but you know, right now it's sort of like Southern California, and then Texas is like the secondary because you got all those coaches in Texas.
2: USC. When they're going good, they cherry pick from Northern California. but yeah. They don't really go in really heavily. Now they were involved with Najee Harris. Right. Um, they've they've got a couple players from up there. Elijah Vera Tucker, obviously, yeah. he was high school teammates with Javon Holland. I saw Holland. I think he was a sophomore when I saw him. Maybe he was a year behind Elijah Vera Tucker when I went to watch um, Bishop O'Dowd and. This guy, I was like, this guy could be a kid, a player. And I was surprised USC never went a little bit harder on him. But, you know, when you have targets in your backyard, and that's the thing is a lot of times you're getting the same type of player as far as the physicality, the, you know, it's not like, oh, they've got a bunch of big linemen like they do in the South versus Southern California. You know, it's similar type of players in that regard. Similar type of schemes are are used across California. So it's not like it's a vastly different type of player. So I think you look in your backyard and you go, okay, well, we got a safety that we like here and this is who it is. And you go get him uh, rather than going to North for him. But when USC is going well, they can go up there and cherry pick and, and pick up uh, some of the players that they want to get. You bring a kid from De La Salle or you bring a kid down from Bishop O'Dowd and, and add them to the mix rather than it being, you know, uh, strength uh, of their recruiting, you know, one of their hotbed areas uh, of Northern California. But right now, yeah, like Ryan said, it's, it's Texas. One of the concerning things, though, is there was a stat put out about how many players. Have been drafted from the home state of the players. And California was like fourth or fifth and was a heavy slide from the top three, which were Texas, Florida, and Georgia, I believe. Um, That's usually, you know, those those in California are usually the top four. Um, And usually it's California and Texas by a pretty good margin because of their size, you know, just the size of the states. And Florida is usually up there. They just produce way more per capita than any other place. Uh, and then Georgia's usually up there as well, but California and Texas usually have a pretty good strength. And California was sliding down that. That's a little bit concerning to me. Just and, and part of it, I think, is be, when USC is not going well, more talent wants to leave, and it's tougher to become a really good player when you have to leave home and you leave that you know that shell that you have uh, to fall back on. You know, when you're having a bad day, being able to go get mom's cooking or whatever, maybe.
3: Yeah. For a second question, if you still remember it,
1: take it or leave it.
3: I'm going to leave it. No, uh, no first round draft pick. of the Family
1: pick. Feud pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no
3: uh, first round draft pick on the offensive line for yeah.
1: USC. I'm going to leave it as well.
2: There's there's no one you would even look at. The question is, will anyone from that offensive line group be drafted that's draft eligible next year? That yeah, I don't know.
3: We'll mm-hmm. see about that, but certainly not a first rounder, at least that we've seen so far.
1: So I'm going to merge both topics tonight based on a question that I got yesterday from someone who knew that I covered USC football. They said, "How does USC have back to back first rounders offensive linemen?" and yet have trouble running the ball. Take it away, guys. I want to see how my answer compared with you guys.
3: We've got a lot of the, Like, a lot of people are tweeting about yeah. that stuff. Um, USC, what have they been good at? Like, they're they're going to get recruits. Paul Hackett got Carson Palmer and Troy Polamalu. Like, you're going to get stud players. Having a bunch of stud players around the program doesn't mean you're going to be a great program. We've seen that from USC countless times. You have to have a great system in place like Alabama does. So you get the great players and you're putting them in a great system. USC doesn't have that. They're trying to build that. They're, you know, The new administration, they're trying to put the pieces in place all around it. They've got better assistants and all that. So yeah, USC can have individual stars. They've always had that. But that does not translate to team success.
2: Sade? Five fingers and a fist. You know, that analogy where offensive line is such a unit. You know, you have to be a unit to be good at, at something, and also the NFL focuses more on pass protection than run run blocking. Uh, just the way the game has uh, trans transpired uh, and transitioned to passing the ball more frequently, it's more about the pass blocking there. Um, you still have to run block. I'm not saying that's not a case, but. Uh, less less important for them as they're looking at draft. Now, obviously, Elijah Vera Tucker is a mauler. Uh, Austin Jackson, you would say, definitely has potential in the run game coming out of USC, something he would still have to work on as he continued. But, you know, that that's the difference there, I think. You know, you, you can have a 400-pound offensive lineman that just runs everybody over in, in college, but, you know, if he can't move in the NFL, then he's not going to be drafted in the first round either.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Shaka tweeted out a picture of, you know, Austin Jackson and Elijah Tucker next to, next to each other. Shouldn't you be able to run the football? There's two first-rounders, like, right next to each other, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a failure on USC's part.
2: But two guys can't block 11. That's also part right, yeah. of it. Right, yeah. So it, it takes, you know, it takes the other guys on the offensive line. It takes that tight end. It takes the scheme to be able to open it up, you know, that you're blocking two guys versus, you know, there being three or four guys there, you know? Austin, Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker were really good, but they can't block two guys each. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, I'm going to move into spring camp, and then we'll get into questions. I know they're rolling in, so thank you guys for that. Uh, but like I said, 2021 spring camp is officially in the books. USC made it out. All 15 practices, no real COVID issues, which was nice to see. We got to see a majority of those practices. Uh, since we already were talking about the run game, let's get into it. Uh Clay McGuire, this was his first camp as a Trojan coach. What did you guys think of, of him as an offensive line coach?
3: I think it helped having Todd Orlando on the other side. I think it really was pushed. Everything was pushed by the defense. I think that it became a much more physical uh, session of practices, and I think that helps Clay McGuire in the offensive line. He had a lot of bodies. There was a lot of depth there, even when you got some injuries. Uh, We've seen springs before. We had like eight guys out there. That wasn't the case this year. He needed to get film on all of these guys. He needed to see them practice. And I think he was able to accomplish that. We didn't see a lot of uh, shifting around and trying different you know, options by the end of the spring, the last couple of weeks between the injuries and the, the, the option to try to like show guys in different spots. We saw a bunch of different uh, positions being played. We saw Andrew Voorhees move out and play some left tackle and maybe make a, a name for himself there. We saw, uh, you know, uh, Milik, you know, come in and, and play center We saw Monheim come out and look like he could potentially be the right tackle. So I like what they were able to do. It's going to be up to Clay McGuire now to kind of look at all that film and figure out what's going on. Clay Hilton said, you know, they're going to practice. All the spots are open, but they have what 25 practices for for fall camp, and uh, it'll be interesting to see throughout the summer where they look like if we get to watch any of those workouts. And then going into camp, you know, is it the same setup we've seen? Uh, the same lineup we've seen uh, through the first few practices, or are they going to move guys around? It's going to be up to Clay McGuire to kind of figure that out. But I I think they got a pretty good test because the young defensive line played well, the defense in general played well. They pushed the envelope as far as physicality goes, and I think the offensive line benefited from that. Mm
1: -hmm. Shotgun, any thoughts on that? I know we saw a lot of shuffling and even more so because of injuries. Was there a specific line that you preferred seeing? (laughs)
2: I mean, I liked Andrew Voorhees at left tackle. I, I thought it should be explored more. I think that's something that I'm still curious to see if that does happen. Um, just because now they've talked up Cortland Ford and Casey Collier and Jonah Monheim, but when the lights were on, Andrew Ford I mean Andrew Voorhees was the guy that they blocked the best out of him and play in the position that he hadn't been practicing at the rest of the time. So, and part of that is experience, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. He's played tackle before. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd be curious to see it, you know, explored more. And I think the probably the most interesting development as far as the players and depth chart is that Jonah Monheim is definitely pushing. Um, yep. Can he push his way into the, into the first five? And if he does, do things get shifted around? Does he change positions? Does he move to the left side? Does he move inside? But because you know they've said we got to find the best five, and then we'll find out where they play. Well, if he's one of the best five, is it now a shuffle? Does he go inside? Do you move Jalen McKenzie inside and he plays right tackle? I, you know there could be a, a number of things. So I think that's the most interesting development as far as the players go. As far back to Clay McWire, I think the most interesting development there is that. We saw different plays, yep. the offense running different plays. And that tells me that Clay McGuire is having an influence because that was something I asked about you know, leading into camp. You know, you know, I asked him about going under center, and he said, well, you know, we're going to sit down, me and Graham are going to sit down, and we'll talk about you know, the, the offensive play calling, basically. And he's going to give his input. And we saw some different plays and stuff, so I, I think that tells me that he is having some influence. And I think that tells you that Graham Harrell trusts him and obviously, you know, he he wouldn't have kind of signed off on this hire if he didn't trust him, a guy that he's worked under before, um, you know, a guy that was, his, was a coach on the staff when he was at Texas Tech. So, you know, I think he respects him. And, you know, if he comes in and says, hey, if we try this, I think it'll work. And then how well those plays worked against the defense, you know, when they saw something different, I, I think that would give Graham Harrell some confidence. So maybe we start seeing some different looks from USC and not just the base offense and only having – you know, the three-page binder or whatever it is that, the, that Graham Harrell's playbook has been championed as, maybe we add a couple more pages to the playbook.
1: Mm-hmm. We definitely saw some new wrinkles. But Ryan, you touched on this in your answer. This was technically the first real spring that USC's new defensive staff was able to have. They had one day uh, last year, but they actually got a full camp this time. And
2: Doesn't, doesn't count, Keely, if they weren't in full pads.
1: True, that's true, going off of their philosophy. So really, their first spring camp. And they talked prior to uh, the 2020 uh, mishaps of COVID and whatnot about how they wanted to install still their culture, their physicality. And it seemed like this was finally this chance that they got to do that. It seemed like a more physical practice. We heard that from players who've been here, been at USC for a while. Ryan, what were your takeaways from what this defensive staff was able to do just tone-wise and uh, maybe culture-wise?
3: Yeah, I mean, they talk the talk, but then they walk the walk. We've heard a lot of talk, right, over the years. There's always, like, this iron sharpens iron, and then you've got the practice is going to be tougher than games. We've heard a lot of these things and never saw them practice that way or never saw the games turn out this way. And you have to give Todd Orlando credit because he came out and was very matter-of-factual about, like, here's what we're going to do. This is why this doesn't matter. I don't care about practices with no pads. We didn't get to put our culture in place. We didn't get to, like, show these guys what physical practices are like. Because when we started in the fall, it was shortened and we had to get ready for games. So we're going to do that this spring. And then when we got to watch practices – It looks like that's what they did. So I have to give Todd Orlando a lot of credit. He was a no-nonsense kind of guy. He told you what was going to happen. It happened. We saw – I know some of the fans don't want to hear it. We saw spring that looked different than other springs. Um, We saw more tackling than we've seen before. They were definitely pushing the envelope as far as, like, how many full pads practices you could have. So I think, you know, you got to give Todd Orlando a lot of credit. And we saw the defense flying around and and making a lot of plays – And I think when you do that, you have one side of the ball that's kind of stepping up their game. It's forcing the other side of the ball to step up as well. So I like that he was sort of leading the way. And, you know, when you have one side of the ball being that physical, the other side of the ball has to
2: respond. And I think the offense did too.
1: Mm -hmm. Shotgun, I know you have been critical about physicality throughout the Helton era. What were your thoughts from this camp?
2: I mean, it's the best camp that they've had. Um, I, I like the practice plans. Um, I, I like the amount of physicality as far as the tackling and going at it, but I really like the fact that they switch things up. Keely and I have harped on this ad nauseum about when things aren't going the way you want them to go, well, you got to make some changes. You got to switch some things up. And that means the practice plans too. You can't do the same practice over and over and over and expect suddenly things are going to get that much better just because, hey, we hired a new coach and he's teaching something a little bit different, but we have the same practices. No, you need to you know make some adjustments, change some drills, do whatever it has to be, and we actually saw some adjustments this year as far as the practice plans. So I thought I was really uh, you know really positive development there that they were making those changes. And I think you saw the outcomes from that, the effect of it, of switching, having the Trojan drill, start out a couple practices, you know, switching and doing the goal line drill before you go into your short yardage, you know, situations and your, your full set of plays you're going to do. It was what, four plays, three plays that they did on the goal line, but it completely changed that entire practice. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you go from a ho-hum practice to everyone's excited, everyone's pumped up, and that's the type of things you have to do. You, and maybe even do it sometimes you have to realize this practice isn't going, you know, it just doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the juice that, that we want. We need to make an adjustment and do it on the fly and throw in an extra drill and call everybody up and just be like, Hey, we're not doing what we need to. We're going to go to this right now. And just, so those are the type of things that they need to have been doing and they haven't and just kind of expected things to get better. Well, now they've made some adjustments. So, you know, it's a continuation of what we've seen for the last year and a half. where slowly step-by-step. Step, they're making adjustments in the right direction. Uh, you know, how long does it take to get to where they need to be? That's a that's a different question. Um, but they're slowly moving in the right direction with everything from recruiting to what they're doing on the practice field now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Shotgun's exactly right with that point. If you're going to do the same thing day after day after day, you can start mailing things in. And I feel like that was happening a lot of times. You need to be able to get a spark somehow. And you know, it started with those Trojan drills in the beginning of practice, and it did set the tone. They're like, okay, this is different. We have even talked about before when. Time after time, you're having practices with no pads. When you open your locker and the shoulder pads are there and your thigh pads are there, and you're like, okay, this is a different. Like your 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 mentality changes, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was definitely lacking. And this was, and you know, we if you listen to the parasol podcast, Coach Harvey Hyde talks. You know, when he was the head coach at UNLV, just sometimes you have to read the room and be like, Mm -hmm. something's not going right. I think One time he said, like, he didn't like some of the assistant coaches, what they were doing. He sent all his assistant coaches off the field. Like, I'm coaching the whole field now. And so, like, you think you're going to get the players' attention if you do something like that? Like, your assistant coach is now thrown off the field? Like, yeah, it's not going to be mundane. It's not going to be same old, same old if your head coach is coming in and, like, taking over the whole practice. Sometimes you need something like that. We just haven't seen much of it. A little bit more of it, I think, this spring.
1: I also think it helped that they didn't have a spring last year. We heard from both yeah. coaches and players. They were just so fired up just to be back on the field and be able to practice. So I think that definitely helped because I know Todd Orlando or no, it was Craig Nivar who said, you know, around practice nine, 10, there's supposed to be a lull, but they were still fired up at that point. So definitely an added benefit. Sure. Uh, if you will, uh, we're reaching the top of the hour. So I'm going to ask one more question before I dive into viewer questions. Uh, coming out of camp. From what you saw, I want one, I guess, positive and one concern you have. Not concern, but you know what I mean, in a neutral, journalistic way.
3: <laughs> uh, I guess I'll start. I, sure. I'm, I'm definitely more optimistic about the defensive side of the ball uh, than I was before. We saw them get better, I think, through the shortened 2020 season. I have a lot of confidence that, um, as a whole, that the defense is going to improve. We're going to see some, you know, I, I trust Todd Orlando and what he's going to end up doing with the, the linebacker group. Um, but I love the way the defensive line played. I think Vic Sooto is the gem of a, an assistant coach. So I I have more confidence there on the defensive side of the ball. So I mean, the the, the common one going into spring, coming out of spring, is still going to be on the offensive line. I'm not – I felt before like you could have like an okay offensive line and the, the offense was still going to uh, be really good and elite. I think, you know, Keaton Slovis looked better than what we saw, you know, during the season in 2020 – but I think you're going to need a higher level of offensive line play than maybe I felt you did before. Um, just get the run game going. You'll run the ball on the third and ones and any kind of short yardage stuff when you know the other team knows you're going to run. And even just to keep the, the passing game flowing – they're still going to be, you know, Keen Slovast to Drake London making these huge plays, but can you have those sustained drives and you, can you have like a consistent offensive output as opposed to the kind of the roller coaster that we've seen before? I think you're going to need a higher level offensive line play to avoid some of that roller coaster where you just go a couple of drives with nothing's going on and then you hit the big play and score a touchdown.
2: Mm-hmm. Shotgun, your thoughts? Ryan, you said that you thought that they could still have an elite offense with an okay office line. I think that's the case. The problem is they haven't been okay. <laughs> you know, you have to, because there's two facets uh, of, you know, an offensive line. It's pass protection, which you know, you've had multiple quarterbacks get hurt. So I don't know if you would say that's, you know, anywhere, you know, even okay. It's okay. That's concerning for sure. The run game has definitely not been okay. So if they can get to okay in the run game, don't have to be maulers. Don't have to lead the nation in rushing. But if you can get to the okay, then yeah, I think this can still be an elite offense. I think that's still a, a possibility under Graham Harrow. Mixing in some different plays and doing some different things to help that run game. I think that would definitely help too. You know, the fact that it seemed like teams knew exactly what was going to happen every time you ran to the line and tried to quick snap on third and one or fourth and one. And you got, you know, there was somebody in the backfield every time. Then yeah, mix it up. Change it up. Where's the play action? Where's the toss to the tight end? Where's the counter off that? Those type of things you you need to throw in there to keep defenses honest, uh, basically. So I I think the offensive line is still a concern. Um, My positive is the defensive line, even though that it should be a concern at defensive tackle right now. It should be actually some major concerns because tefele is gone, Tui Pelotu is gone, now Tremblay transfers out. You have Brandon Peely goes down with an injury. So you have no experience basically there. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We've seen a lot of positive signs from Jay Toya. We've seen positive signs from Jamar Sakona that those guys are gonna take a step forward. Now, are they ready to be a Marlon Tua Peloto or a Jay Tefelli? I don't think so. But is Ishmael Softshore? Is he a guy that can step in and be your starter? Is Jacob Lichtenstein a guy that you can bump down? And then, you know, you don't need anyone to be a star there. You don't need anyone to be the stud that that Marlon Tua was early in the season. But can you get some consistent contributions from three or four guys? Then I think you, you have something there. And I think that's what, what you're going to see. So instead of being a concern, I I think that that group's going to be okay. So I think that's a positive for USC. A lot of playmakers on that defense, especially in the, the secondary. I think that those young guys, as they continue to progress, are going to be really good. My concern is actually Keaton Slovis. You know, there's a lot of interceptions this spring. He's got to be better, you know, that, and maybe it's you're working with new wide receivers, kind of getting a feel. There's a lot of things going on but it, it's year 3. This is draft year. You know, you, you can't be throwing 10, 15, you know, there's 15 practices, we saw what eight and we saw at least 10 interceptions. So, you know, if it's just got to be better. It, it has to be better. Um, you know, is he back to 2019 form or is it 2020 form? That's the question everybody wants to know about his arm strength and it's okay. It's fine. It's not great. I don't think it's back to 2019 form. And I think part of that is confidence and being able to drill that ball in there. And when you have double digit interceptions in a spring camp, I think that, you know, that uh, starts hurting that a little bit. So Keenan Slovis is a little bit of concern for me. I I think that that they got to get him right and get him on track. And they do. He goes back to 2019 form where he's whipping the ball around the, the yard and having fun. And you go, that's when this offense, and that's when, to Ryan's point, it can become elite with an okay offense line on the run game.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with all you guys. I'm going to say different things just to be different. Uh, I think the positive, I was impressed with how different guys on the defense stepped up in leadership ways and just seemed like they had a better sense of the defense both on the field and off the field. Uh, Isaiah really go forth, Kenai Malga. he's a guy who definitely stepped up. And Chase Williams has been really vocal. I know it's something I've talked about all spring camp, but it's true. Uh, and then as far as the concern, I'm going to go outside the box and actually say who's going to be USC's third wide receiver like who's gonna be the third Mm. target because you know you obviously Drake London that's gonna be your main target there I think Brie McCoy if he's healthy that's gonna be a guy you're definitely gonna go to but then Gary Bryant is he gonna be healthy what's that gonna look like is Katie Nixon gonna be uh, more consistent I don't know I just feel like there's a lot of pressure on Drake London's shoulders right now yes and I don't know who's gonna be those other guys to step up necessarily right now so we'll see that's something in fall camp you kind of want to keep your eye on to see if that develops more so those
3: are my yeah. concerns. Yeah, I wanted to see more from Katie Nixon. I thought he could be, but you know, maybe he'll be a gamer, but we just haven't seen yeah. the consistency from him. And you know, maybe it's a Kyle Ford, Michael Jackson uh, looked yeah. really good. Yeah, you know, you can see John Jackson. There, you know, there's some options, but you're right. Usually there's like these established positions. And the whole point um, that Kerry Colbert was talking about that they might move guys around more because you don't have like, oh, we have Tyler Vance here. We have Amon Ross St. Brown here. We have Michael Pittman here. Like you don't have that stuff anymore. You basically have... Drake London, and he can go wherever. And you're going to move him outside and everybody else. And, uh, you know, the, which one, which geyser is it going to be? We don't yeah.
1: know. Yeah, but we'll see. Usually for USC, their wide receiver group steps up uh, pretty impressively. So I don't think it will be a huge concern, but just something I have my eye on. Uh, But let's jump into questions. I believe we have one from NJ2K who says, a quick question. How did USC go out and hire all these recruiters and we don't have a top 10 class already? A little nervous because this class is giving me 2020 flashbacks. Thanks.
2: It's uh, May 2nd. still be in the top 10 of may 2nd right yeah you
3: can i mean but i wouldn't i wouldn't be concerned about where you're ranked in recruiting on may 2nd as much yeah as i, as I, I would like february 2nd
2: definitely then <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that there, there's not a concern there for me because you, you look at the list of players that are coming in for the visits it's not like they've already been rebuffed by some because we're seeing a lot of top 10 top 8 top 5 lists and it's not like a, a ton of usc's you know, guys that you're like, Oh, that's a guy that USC, you know, probably should get or should be in contention for. And you go, Wait, that guy's not there anymore. There's a couple of them out there, like AJ Duffy, you know, the fact that he cut USC out pretty early. You kind of wonder about that one in the quarterback. But, uh, for the most part, there's a lot of players and special on the defensive side. And that's the work of that group. Dante Williams and Craig Nivar together, you know, going out and, and you know, really re- recruiting their tails off. Um, so not really concerned there. The, the pieces they already have, I think, are solid pieces. The fact that you're already, Damani Jackson is committed, um, you know, is going to help, you know, be able to sell the class as well going forward. So I, I'm not that concerned. And the fact that they are in the investments they've made into recruiting, um, just the different graphics, the different videos, all that type of stuff that they've done tells you that they understand how important recruiting is when not necessarily last year, the 2020 class, but you know, for about a five-year stretch is like USC kind of felt like we can rest on our laurels and people will come to USC just because, you know, that was kind of always the saying in recruiting circles is like USC is going to get, uh, you know, its amount of players just because it's USC. And I think USC kind of, uh, the, the staff kind of rested on that. And instead, you know, when they didn't get some of those, you go, oh, wow, what happened? Um, now it feels like they have those young guys that are you know voracious recruiters, you know, bringing in Jeff Martin, uh, bringing in Brian um, Carrington. Carrington, uh, Marshall
3: Sherrington. I, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I knew there was a C, and I knew there was double letters in the middle, but and it wasn't ton. popping into <laughs> was my <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> popping into my head, but yeah, the, the investments they made there. I, I think that and the, the graphics, the video, all that type stuff, they understand how important it is to not only just continue doing what you're doing, but try to get out and be, you know, kind of top of the line, you know, mm-hmm. uh, be on the cutting edge of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I mean, was,
1: sorry, Ryan. What was the Dante quote from last March when he said you can't just rely on this and putting it into exactly. the, the OC logo?
3: I think this made your floor higher. Now, we saw in 2020 the floor was a lot lower than we thought it could be because that was the, the worst class we've ever seen. But your floor is just going to be higher. But you still have to achieve a top five class. And we saw, at least in 2021, there was more achievement going on but yeah there's still some work to do in 2022 i would I wouldn't be too concerned in early may
2: yeah you, you win games you get more recruits yeah mm-hmm. that know? helps that you, helps
3: raise the yes. steel, the floor and ceiling if
2: you work really hard at recruiting and you do all the right things you have a 500 season you're still going to get a good amount of recruits local recruits people that grew up going i love usc that's the school my dream school they're really selling me on it i see how i could fit there still going to come But that five-star kid from Texas or from Florida or across the country not coming if you're 500. Now, if you are in college football playoff contention, yes, that's the type of kids that are coming. That's you know the the five-star kids that are really competitive, the ones you really want. They're looking for a place where I can go. I can be on the biggest stage, which is trying to play for a national championship, and that's why a team like Alabama, who's so consistently been in the playoffs, been in contention for a national title, they can pull players from all over the country. Not because of everything they say in their recruit, recruiting pitch is you know the most brilliant thing ever. It's what they've done and you know the the legacy they've created in the last decade. Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost eight, so let's go into rapid fire mode. And we got a question on Facebook that said, "Outside of slowest, which current player can be an early round draft pick next year?"
3: Drake and Drake.
2: <laughs> the, the question. Is, I'm really curious what NFL scouts think about Drake London. Now, if he goes outside and dominates, then yeah, I think so. Um, but I wonder if there will be concerns. Where exactly does he fit? Is he a tweener? Is he fast enough? Is he big enough? All those type things. I think if you want to use him in a certain way, he can be a great mismatch. But that isn't always the case. You have to get creative offensive coordinators and people that want to feature mismatch mismatches instead of, you know, Graham Harrell's offense is more Everyone, run your route, and someone will be open. Rather than let's move this guy over here and move this and moving the chess pieces more to create that mismatch. They just figure that there's going to be an open space based on the concept.
1: Mm-hmm. We got a question on. Sorry, Ryan, I Don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
2: No. Yeah. I mean, I,
3: I mean, I think those two guys have the best chance. I mean, I don't know, maybe like an Isaiah Polamau or something, but I think you know, there's a there's a short list. I would think after Slovis, but both first names would begin with Drake.
1: <laughs> Oh, we got a question on YouTube from Hip Hop Lover who said, "Will Drake Jackson be the fourth team captain next year, outside of Slovis, London, and Isaiah pull him out?
2: Good question. I don't think so. I think it'll be maybe like a mm-hmm. Um Jordy Aceffa if healthy. I think he can be back being a captain. So I, I think there's some older options that that probably on the defensive side. It, you know, if if it's three that you mentioned, it would be another defensive player. I don't think there's an overwhelming leadership uh, quartet on the offensive side that you, you need quartet. to put all as captains or anything. Sure.
1: What about Brett and Elon? Any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, potentially. Anytime, your center is always an option because yeah. Yeah. they're the ones that talk all the time. Sure. And that's what you're looking for in a leader.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we had a question from a.k.a. Boone, who said, now that spring football is over, do you guys slash gals, I feel like guys is an exclusive, uh, inclusive word, I don't care, uh, feel more same or less confident in USC next season, especially the offensive line?
2: Offensive line, kind of still in the middle. Um, you know, not really stock up or stock down, pretty much the same.
1: Uh, stock neutral?
2: <laughs> no, not much neutral. the same. I'll stock neutral, thank you. Means the stock did not change. <laughs> Um, I feel, you know, still things to work on. I don't feel like anyone just impressed so much that you're like, wow, that guy's really locked in as a, as a starter. Overall, I feel more confident because of the, coaching staff and seeing the impact of the defensive staff you know preaching physicality and the fact that they actually went out about uh, went about doing it the right way doing it on the practice field rather than you know saying that they want to be physical they went out and actually were physical in practice and that will eventually translate if they continue it mm-hmm.
3: we got one from Doug on periscope hey periscope hey periscope or not periscope sorry youtube live um oh okay i think well it still says like P- do you
1: mean Twitter Live?
3: Tw- I'm sorry. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. Twitter Live. <laughs> Holy cow. Sorry. You yeah, there's good? so many platforms. but so many platforms. Periscope's apparently dead, but we're still kind of using it. Uh, Doug, do you see the tight end playing a more prominent role in the offense this year? How about two running back sets?
1: We've seen the latter. In practice i don't know if we're allowed to say that so we've seen it yeah.
2: they've talked about it uh, yeah okay there so we yeah we've seen more two tight end sets we've seen more two running back sets will that translate into the fall and uh, i'm not sold on that yet um i think that is much more a product of the fact that you had what what was the last practice that, that i was at there was three scholarship wide receivers or two scholarship wide receivers
1: Tuesday for you sir
2: um so they were healthy and able to participate at the end so that's you are like you're not going to throw a bunch of walk-ons out there when you have scholarship tight ends and scholarship running backs that you can put on the field um, and see what they can do. Instead, maybe you see a little bit more. Uh, the tight end position still needs to de- needs development. Still needs to be more active and more productive in the run blocking. And if it is. Then they stay on the field all the time, and then they can start catching some passes. Lake McCree showed some nice things. Michael Trigg, when he comes in, he could be a mismatch problem as well.
1: Mm -hmm. In the same vein, you kind of already touched on it, but Jesse wanted to know how the the tight ends do overall this spring. Uh, He says USC needs their production.
3: Yeah, it's about the same. (laughs) (laughs) Meh.
1: See, but does that change at all with Trigg coming in? Do you anticipate that?
3: I don't know if it's about personnel. It's just about what... How are they going to be used? That's I mean I, I'm I'm not but worried he's about the. This the type talent. of guy
1: it's, where you could use them differently. It's yeah.
2: personnel, because the way you're using them is perfectly fine if they block well. <laughs> but if they don't block well, then you get running plays that are blown up and stuff. And uh, Eric Cromwell has come a long way from where he was a freshman, and he would, the fact that he was starting as or not starting but playing uh, as a freshman. Well, it was kind of concerning because that's why Kerry Angeline left. Part of the reason, um, and he goes and you know has a successful career with NC State. They just they have to be more productive in what they're being asked to do, and then they'll get more opportunities to go catch the ball and do different things. Um, so Michael Trigg, can he come in? Is he going to be a blo- uh, You know, a stand up, you know, outstanding blocker to begin with? I don't think so. He's a, he was a wide receiver in high school a ton. Um, So, you know, I think it takes a little bit of time to develop as a blocker, as a tight end, unless someone's going from an offensive lineman and moving out to tight end because you're just not used to that. And the kids you're blocking in high school are usually pretty small.
1: We had a question on YouTube that said, could Jackson Dart lead SC to a championship? This was a Ryan Abraham loaded question because it seems a little spicy for my taste.
3: I mean, I just saw it up there. We we get the the backup quarterback love, and we don't know who's going to be the backup quarterback. Uh, we've seen Miller. You know, the last practice we saw, Miller Moss, I thought played better than Jackson Dart. You know, and that was the basically the backups. Did you feel that way, Keely, or what? The uh, last practice, like there was lim- the, a lot of team stuff, but it was mostly the all the te- the full team periods were Miller Moss and Jackson. Dart. It was Dart. young
1: guys across the board getting yeah, final
3: rest. Yeah, but for like the summer. Moss, I thought played better. That you know, but. I, people just fall in love with a guy, and I think they've fallen in love
2: with Jackson Dart.
1: I'm not going to make a championship prediction off of 15 practices of true freshman quarterbacks. Like, that's just not what I'm going
2: to do. But the the key word there is could, and the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes when could. Um, but that that would have nothing. Doesn't even necessarily have to do with Jackson Dart. Look at the quarterbacks that cycled through Alabama that helped lead them to the national championships. So is Jackson Dart better than some of those guys? Probably. Um, you know, does that mean he'll lead him to a national championship? No, because it's going to take the offensive line playing well.
1: Yeah, I will say though, he has a je ne sais quoi. He has that uh that bravado a little bit. You can see it. The confidence is kind of building there. Uh, we got a question on YouTube from Matthew who says, "What are your thoughts on Taj Washington?" It's a question for you, Shotgun. Uh, he says, "I think he will be a future draft pick."
2: I haven't seen, you know, I haven't watched a lot of highlights of Taj Washington, a guy I would prefer seeing in person. Um, Katie Nixon is a guy that I was really high on from my viewing in person of him, you know, facing USC, and he hadn't lived up to the expectations yet. Now, changing offenses, you know, getting used to uh, new school, all that type of things could play into it. Um, But, you know, he hasn't lived up to where I was expecting. I thought he would come in and be able to take over that third uh, wide receiver role. Instead, we're still worrying, you know, kind of concerned about that and wondering what's going to happen there. Uh, whereas I thought as a fifth year guy with experience, he'd be able to come in and basically say, This is my spot. You guys fight for number four or fight for a different spot. I'm taking this one. But that mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. So Taj Washington, want to see him in person and see what he's got. But heard a lot of positive things about him so far.
1: Mm-hmm. We got a question from Coley who says, Would USC's coaches look at opponents' spring games at all?
2: Coley asked about this. Uh, uh, has asked about this a couple times. Like, is USC's co- are USC's coaches going to watch um, the Notre Dame spring game? That's what he really wants to know. Yes, of course <laughs> they are. Why do you think that coaches go so vanilla in spring games? Because someone is going to watch it on your on yeah. your uh, schedule. So mm-hmm. that's why you don't unveil any of the stuff that you, that are going to be key components to your offense or any special play that you're going to draw up. Yeah. So they all watch those things. Now, how much stock do they put in? It? They're not going to look at it and go, oh, look at that formation, look at what they're doing there. They're going to look at it and say, man, look at how quick Kyle Hamilton gets from sideline to sideline. What can we do to avoid him? Um, those are the type of things you look at in the spring game. You see, okay, that guy's making some plays. Who is it? Let's check the roster, see what that number is, uh, and, and say, l- let's keep a note on him and see where he's at during the season if we need to keep an eye on him for something else.
1: Mm-hmm. Chaunters on YouTube said, uh, Why are SC players in such a huge rush to leave early? There's no way these guys didn't get a draft analysis before deciding to leave. For most of these guys, staying another year would have made them more money.
3: What, why do guys go to USC? Like, what's the big draw? to be recruited to usc like why is that ceiling high you want to get there's a lot of dudes in the nfl that got the most draft picks ever you're not coming to usc thinking i'm going to go here for five years and get a master's degree and then maybe like make it the nfl these guys want to go to the nfl you're going to look at any opportunity you have to get there so if someone's saying hey you're going to be a second or third round pick there's no reason for me to come back Maybe 10 people are telling you you won't be, but the one person that does, that's the one you're listening to because that's what you want to hear. So I think that happens a lot of times. It's not that USC players are in a rush, but you go to USC, you go to Alabama, you go to Ohio State, a big draw is you're going to get to the NFL. So you're going to get there as fast as you possibly can if you feel like you can do that instead of staying one extra year. A lot of times it happens. We've seen Alabama guys come back. We saw it happen this year in the draft. Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood, a bunch of those guys did come back. And we've seen USC guys come back too, but... You can't fault the guys that want to go early. That's the whole point. When they got to USC, they wanted to leave early.
2: You go to to be developed and get out of there. Does that always happen? No. But all these guys, when they come, if you're a four- or five-star guy, your goal is to get to the NFL. Yeah, some of them could make more money coming back. Um, Elijah Griffin is probably the only one that I look at and say, he, he needed to come back. An extra year of development would have done, done – uh, wonders for him, and then a team would have invested more in him as a draft pick than they will as an undrafted free agent. I think, again, that he has the potential that he can make a roster and stick around in the NFL, have a multi-year career. But the difference between undrafted free agent is you can get cut real quick versus the guy that they've already paid some money to with a little bit of a signing bonus. That guy, they're going to yeah, we'll give him an extra chance. This guy, yeah, get him out of here. You know, if you're on even – footing, we've already paid some money and invested some time into this guy. Let's keep him around a little bit longer and give him another opportunity. So I think that's the difference for him. But everybody else, was Marlon Tupelotu going to go higher next year? Maybe, but another year in the trenches with a guy who's had a back injury? Go and, and try to make money now. Amon Ross St. Brown, you see the hits he's taken during his career at USC, and he plays in the slot and you know he's going to take some more hits. Go and make money now there's not a giant jump between second round and third round or second round and fourth round. The big jump is, to, from second round to first round, guaranteed money, guaranteed contract. And then actually from you know moving up, if you get into that top 15, the money becomes a little bit even bigger then.
3: Yeah, and it was a weird year because of the COVID yeah. stuff too. So yeah. that's that's a X factor in all of this.
1: Mm-hmm. We got a question from Mike on Facebook who said, will Corey Foreman just be a backup for Drake Jack- Jackson or do you think they will find a way to get both of them on the field at the same time?
3: Yeah, I think you're going to see them both. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you got to get those pass rushers on the field.
2: I mean, the question will be how much do they rotate? Does Drake Jackson become a guy that you never take off the field, which we've seen some with pass rushers at USC? Uchenna Nwosu never came off the field. Porter Gustin, when he was healthy, never came off the field. Now, if you're rotating them and say, let's keep him a little bit fresher, let's rotate him in there, and we're going to have one guy that's an elite pass rusher at all times on the field – then, then I think that you're going to see them. You'll see them play the same position. Now, in certain pass rush situations, third and long situations, yeah, they're both going to be on the field. But as far as moving Corey to a different position when they've recruited him at that spot for Drake Jackson, to have them on the field at the same time, you know, as the primary defense, I, I think that comes down to how much you're going to rotate Drake Jackson because I think you're going to want to get Corey Foreman on the field, but uh, if you're if you want to keep Drake Jackson fresh, then you rotate more and you can leave him at that same spot.
1: we got a question on YouTube from David who says, who's going to anchor the offensive line in the fall?
2: I think it's a good question. Uh...
1: Well, I mean, Chuck and I have both said it. Brett Nealon is kind of the only guy you can point to and be like, he's going to be on the field <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come 2021.
2: Yeah, he's the starter. He's gonna, You know what position he's going to be. Everyone else's position could be moved. And, and that's this is, goes back to two years now. Uh, two years ago, Austin Jackson leaves, and you go, we don't know where anyone else is going to be because everyone else moved. Brett Nelon was the only guy that has consistently been in one spot. So, And there's questions about that. Even though the offensive line for the majority of the spring was consistent what it was last year with the left tackle being the only difference. So I think you, you feel Brett Nelon's the anchor. We'll see what we do with the other four pieces.
1: Yeah. Jasper Smith says, going into fall camp, who should we expect to participate in fall that didn't pr- participate in the spring?
3: I mean, you're going to see like a lot of the young DBs, like the Sierra Rights of the world, right? They could have used uh, some of those guys. Fall enrollees, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Corey Foreman is like the big one. Like you want to see Corey Foreman come play.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to get a couple guys back from injury. Uh, Elijah Winston's a guy that, you know, Bless you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that I'm interested to see where they try to put him at. Um, you know, obviously, the inside linebackers are pretty thin. Is he back at inside linebacker? Is he back outside? They've moved him yeah. around at different points in his career. Are the other two inside linebackers back? Solomon Tuli Alapupu and Jordan Iosefa. Mm-hmm. Multiple knee injuries. I mean, multiple, let will say lower body injuries for both those guys. Yeah. So, you know... If they're back and they practice a full week, then we'll discuss them about being potential starters and then what do you do with the other guys. So those will be guys to watch to see if they practice and how much they practice. I would say 81, Kyle Ford. I, I need a he new guy. He did
1: participate in fall. Is Kyle Ford a new guy? It's like he's my, Tyler Vaughn's yeah. has moved on I, and t- now. Vons
3: is gone. Now is it's there Kyle there a ceremony?
1: Ford. Like how does this happen?
3: Uh, they, he's going to get a plaque. I oh, think. okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> the official Ryan Abraham guy.
3: You're my dude now. Yeah. So. The dude.
1: Uh, also, Nick Figueroa. Uh, we didn't really see mm, Drake Jackson a lot. Um and, I mean, Ishmael Softer, guys like that. I mean, I asked Clay Helton, do you expect any of the inju- in- injuries suffered in spring to bleed into fall camp? And he basically said only the season-ending in- injuries are going to impact that. Uh, Brandon Peely with the Achilles, uh, Mo Hasan with the ACL, and then Max Williams with the ACL as well. So, USC, for the most part, should be healthy in June when they start their workout. So, uh, there you go for that. We got a question from Coley White. Surprise, surprise! It involves South Bend. He says, by September eighteenth, the third game, will you be able to tell if USC is a playoff team, or does it does one have to wait until after the game in South Bend?
2: So, what's what's the South Bend game? How?
1: Uh, it's the sixth, sixth game. Yeah, I think you. Or, mm, it might be the seventh. Middle
2: of the season. Sure. Though. Yes. Yes. Um, sure. I, I think you'll have a much better idea, obviously, by Notre Dame. Will you know by the third game? I I would normally say yes because there's not a lot. It's not like you have a young quarterback. You're going to see if they develop. The, The big question is, though, is the offensive line. It's always the offensive line. It's been that way for about half a decade now. If the offensive line produces, will we know by three games the impact that Clay McGuire has? that's where I'm not sure. I don't I don't know what do you guys think. Do you think you will feel feel like, okay, yeah, they can run the ball, or is this the same thing?
1: So, okay, San Jose State, Stanford, and Wazoo. Those are the first three games.
2: Yeah, I don't think you're going to know. I don't
1: think lot. you're going to know. And then you have Oregon State after that, and then at Colorado. Then you get Utah at home. I think the Notre Dame just tells you. The Notre Dame game, is set, especially in South Bend, that's been a place where USC can come in prior to that, look good, and then South Bend just happens yeah and sort it's of a kind slap of, in the f- yeah it takes a, wind out the of the face. Sales a little bit yeah.
3: I think you could know if the run game isn't working I don't know if you would know that it is working against a quality line now you know Utah's gonna be good for sure like that's gonna be if you can run the ball against Utah I think you'd have a decent shot of running against Notre Dame but if you're running against Washington State I'm not sure that you're gonna like say oh yeah we got a great run game now and no, that probably isn't going to be the case. But if you can't run the ball against Washington State, you are not you're not going to be running against Utah. You won't be running it against Notre Dame, in my opinion.
2: Sure. I mean, they didn't run the ball against Washington State this year because Washington State <laughs> played man. So
1: one one yard, correct? Which yard? Like five yards.
3: It was something. Yeah, there was like it was five yards. It was single digits. Yeah. It's
1: not great, but yes, uh, we got a question on YouTube. Uh, who says? Do you see for? Uh, do you foresee Graham Harrell expanding route concepts and evolving the offensive scheme? It's a Facebook question. My bad.
3: Uh. I don't, I mean, I think the offense is the offense. I don't think it's going to change all that much. Um, people keep asking, like, are they going to put the I formation? I'm like, no, I don't think there's going to be a, a lot of changes going on. He kind of does what he does. Um, you're going to tweak some little things and stuff, but I don't think you're going to have massive changes.
2: There's just some, I mean, it's not overhauling concepts, it's just throwing some counters in there to the plays, the things that you're already doing on a regular basis. And that's not really overhauling concepts, in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. A couple more questions before we wrap this one up. A uh, truck ranger said, when will team start double teaming Drake London?
3: Uh, what's August 6th is the first day of fall <laughs> camp. So <laughs> they'll start working on it then. Uh, yeah, right away. Like, you're going to make someone else try to beat you. Um, he is the dude. Like, you just watch him. You're going to watch this. Whatever you watch, you're going to be like, okay, he's really good. We're going to make sure, or try to make sure, he's not going to be the dude to beat us. I think the pick that uh, Keen Slovis threw in the spring game, um, Mm -hmm. who was it? Yeah, it was London. But he had had had. yeah, he had coverage over the top and he had coverage underneath. You know, but Slovis threw it to him anyway. I I think that's smart to do that. Make Slovis find somebody else open and uh, make London work twice as hard to try to beat two guys instead of one.
2: The answer is immediately, just like Ryan said. Ah, uh, when will they stop double covering? Is when someone else proves that y- you can't do that. So, if Bru McCoy goes and has 150 yards against San Jose State, yeah. Stanford's going to think twice about. All right, do we put that safety over the top and leave the middle of the field open? If you know, if Taj Washington comes in and has 100 yards over the middle, you know those type of things. That's what it takes. It, it takes a team effort for a receiver to be really good. You know, e- even guys like Michael Pittman are big, strong. You need that secondary guy to keep a little coverage off of them for them to go off.
1: Jared mm-hmm. on YouTube says, "Who has the most unique slash outgoing character slash personality you guys have observed on the team?"
2: Current team, Katie Nixon has, you know, is uh, effervescent. <laughs> I would say everyone loves him when they're around him. Um, he, he brings a ton of energy, and that's the, the thing that was talked about initially when he was brought in. I think he brings that to the wide receiver room as well. Uh, the other guy is that people gravitate towards. I think is Drake Jackson. You yeah. Know? If you can do backflips, people are like, "Oh, I got to see this." But also, he just has a great personality, and everyone really enjoys being around him.
3: He's great. I was uh, the, the first guy I was going to mention. Like, we did a video when I did a video with him. I think his dad and uh, Corey Foreman. We did like all like a Zoom with all those guys together yeah. and stuff, and just you know, lots of personality. It's been hard this last year because you don't. Not, yeah. there's Zoom personality and there's like <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. you know if if Zach Banner walks by t- tequila and go hey you dropped your pocket like there's <laughs> Like you can't, you can't do that with Zoom, you know, yeah, like no, you there's can't. quick interactions that make part of that why you would like a guy. And we yeah. don't get to do that with these yeah. guys right now.
1: I will say though, Kanae Mauga has some personality that cracks me up. Shotgun no- knows this.
2: Keeley's like, that's my spirit animal there. That's my spirit.
1: <laughs> Just because he ha- he's such he's such a nuisance and in such a great like little brother type of way that I I, I relate a little bit. So uh, I would say Kanae Malga. for that. I have to
2: tell her, I'm like, he's not an animal except, you know, when he's making 16 tackles or 14 tackles against Utah.
1: True, but I just like the feistiness. Big (laughs) fan of the feistiness. Uh, Shotgun, any questions that I missed that you feel like are worth asking before we wrap this one up?
2: I didn't have any saved in particular. Um, This was a question that was asked, which I don't really know the answer to. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if either one of these guys are going to have the answer either because we've all only covered USC, basically. We haven't been around a bunch of other teams to, to be able to say, but can you compare USC to Oklahoma, Bama, Georgia, and the like, and tell me if they have a similar amount of energy injuries at this point as USC with three seizing in injuries? And three seizing in injuries is unfortunate. I don't think it's anything ludicrous, though. Uh, It's not like, and Chris Davino can attest to this, the the year, (laughs) because he was at Maryland the year when they had, I think it was five quarterbacks go down. They had a, I think it was a walk-on backup linebacker became the quarterback. Or maybe it was just a backup linebacker became the quarterback. After they'd gone through a walk-on quarterback. It was was one of the most incredible runs of unfortunate injury news uh, for them. But uh, that's not the case at USC, I don't think.
1: And, and the thing with, like, the Mohassan injury, that was just a freak thing where he was running by himself, yeah. non-contact. Contact. Max Williams already tore that ACL already, so that's always iffy with guys like that. And then Brandon Peely. was
2: contact as well. Yep, and
1: then Brandon Peely. We didn't fully see what happened on that play, but that's just a, a freak injury as well. So, I mean, I don't... Full, like if it was a string of hamstring injuries that like every guy is going down, then maybe you can attribute it to stretching or the conditioning, et cetera. But these were just freak injuries that I don't think you can attribute to anyone on the team or staff-wise. You
3: know? Yeah, and I think you got to give uh, you know Robert Steiner an opportunity to kind of kind of build up you know what he wants to establish there too. And who knows? I mean, that you know what kind of impact he's going to have on injuries going forward. I don't think what USC has is out of, uh, you know, out of sorts. It's not like, you know, just c- completely crazy. But what you have to have is like a system in place to make sure you, if one injury isn't going to kill you. So if you had, but if you had a bad recruiting class a year or two ago, an injury is probably gonna Im- impact you more than if you had a great recruiting class year after year after year. If you're Alabama and you have like, you know, the top receiver in the draft who went down with an injury, and his backup wins the Heisman Trophy and still is also a high draft pick, like, yeah, you you mitigated that injury risk pretty well by, oh, yeah, okay, so our top receiver's out. His backup will win the Heisman when receivers don't win the Heisman. Yeah, that's how you have to, like, deal with injuries. Like, you're going to get them, but how can you backfill? And uh, if you're a place like Alabama, you're just recruiting at a high level all the time, USC needs to get back there. And then if a guy gets injured, it's not going to be that big of a deal.
0: Sure.
2: Yeah, big concern for USC if Slovis gets hurt, no experience left yeah. on the roster, and if they, the the fortunate thing for them is that they had no offensive line men get hurt. If they get two offensive linemen to go down, you're in trouble. Because right now we feel confident with six, maybe seven guys in there. Um, you know, depending on how you feel about Monheim and Ford both playing on the offensive line at the same time. But you know, a couple of offensive line injuries and you're going to be in trouble because, like Ryan said. That's the area where they haven't recruited well. And so they're they're on the edge there as far as the injuries go on, on that spot. But overall, I would be more concerned with the fact that, you know, by my count, uh, what was it? Uh, 36, 38. You 40, said 40. 49. Okay. Uh, whatever it was. W- scholarship players. Scholarship. Players. Now, obviously, the rush is a little bit bigger this year than the 85. And some of those guys are away for different reasons. But 40 guys. We're not available to participate at the end of the in the full team period at the end of Tuesday's practice. If this was a game week, yeah, that would be a concern. But because it's the end of spring, we're not gonna risk any injury type of thing to exacerbate anything. Not as big a concern there. The season-ending ones are unfortunate, but three is not uh, anything ludicrous, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: We have some parents in the chat, by the way, uh, in, on Facebook. Mike Nealon said, 7-0 after the ND game. The feeling and intensity is just different this year. Player mindset has changed. And Then LC Eccles followed it followed it up with, yep, Mike, it has. So there you go. Some parents. Very nice. Commenting for- in the chat. Thanks for watching. We always appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but guys, any final thoughts? This is kind of the the... The off season, the final but May is pretty low key for yeah. both camps and uh, just football activities. And then June starts back up again. So what are you expecting?
3: May's gonna be a little weird because usually if you follow the team, if you follow uscfootball.com, which you all should, be a, <laughs> a subscriber. Actually you still have like, like an hour or something to sign up and get fifty percent off uh and annual subscription, you make sure you do that. But May the May evaluation period was always a big deal for recruiting with like coaches out on the road ch- checking stuff out. It's still a dead period until June 1st, I believe, right? Yes. So there is no – so there's – you know, spring football's over. The draft is done. Not really as much recruiting. There's all the official visits that are going to be happening in June. June's going to be packed as far it's as recruiting stuff goes. Yes. So, yeah, so it might be a little – it might be a lean month. Uh, well, we had a whole, like, lean year
2: last year. So a lean month I think we can deal with.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Not really selling it, Ryan, but, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shotgun, any thoughts before we wrap this one up?
2: Uh, USC baseball picked up a win over number 18 Stanford today.
1: Hey, there you go, a, a baseball edition. A little. Fun and fact. Coley
2: wanted to to point out that he was upset that there was no Bobby Steiner <laughs> and the Boys to mention uh, because he went to the concert and said it was good fun.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, did they play any Notre Dame songs at Bobby Steiner and the Boys concert? Not no. sure. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. Uh, thanks for watching this episode. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.
0: Bye bye. Okay.